Thank you for downloading or streaming this message from Emmanuel Church. We are one church with multiple locations, and we believe God wants to bless you right where you are. In a few moments, you're going to hear some practical teaching from God's Word that I believe will be inspiring and relevant to your life. First, though, if you haven't yet experienced Emmanuel Live, we encourage you to go to our website, eclife.org, to check out our service times and locations so that you can experience Emmanuel in person or through our online campus. If this message blesses you and you'd like to support the ministry financially, again, you can go to eclife.org and click on the Giving tab and choose Online Campus at your campus. Thanks again for joining us today, and we hope this message will be an encouragement to you on your spiritual journey. Well, hello, church. Welcome again. How are you feeling this morning? It is good to be here with you today. If this is your first time, Banta, Franklin, Garfield Park, Greenwood, online, can we give it up for all of our first timers? Welcome to Emmanuel. If you are not new, welcome back. We started a series last week called Made to Give. We said that the series really came from or sparked from a book that I read about two months ago called The Second Mountain. And I picked it up because I heard about it through a podcast and I saw somebody else reading it and then I kind of heard about it. And so I grabbed it. Introduction gripped me. You know, chapter one, good, two, good, three, good. Then chapter four, man, I was seized. I was just caught. I was caught because the author, David Brooks, started to describe an American experience. And he started to quote some statistics that just caught my attention. Just boom, I was dialed in. He said that since 1999, the suicide rate in America is up 30%. He said that from, the, from 2006 to 2016, kids between the age 10 and 17, we've seen a 70% rise in the suicide rate. Unbelievable. 45,000 people every single year in the United States commit suicide. And I know we have folks watching in different countries. I'm not sure what's going on over there. But here, that's incredible. That's two football stadiums filled with people. An additional 72,000 people overdose on drugs every year in America. It's like, what is going on? The CDC, for the third year in a row, said that the average American lifespan has, has shortened once again, three years in a row. And we live in the greatest country in the world, the freest country in the world. Why are people so discouraged that they're willing to take their own lives? And as I read the book, I was just, I was just captivated. And what he says, and he makes this argument that the major reason so many people are struggling with discouragement and depression and thoughts of suicide is because we are suffering from, yes, a crisis of meaning, a crisis of a lack of purpose and a lack of trust in our country. But, the, but behind all of that is a crisis of loneliness. And he says that this crisis of loneliness has been driven because back in the 1960s, our culture embraced this hyper-individualism. And yes, that fixed some of the problems back in the 1960s, but today it is wreaking havoc. You see, back in the 1940s and 50s, the Americans came together and we, we decided to, to band together to fight you know, World War II and to defeat, defeat, defeat uh, Nazism and, and Adolf Hitler. And it was sort of this, we're all in this together mentality. 75% of Americans trusted the United States government. But then in the 60s hit, we, the pendulum swung from this, we're all in this together to every man for themselves. And it was all about individual rights. And yes, we fixed some of our problems, but the pendulum, he argues, has swung too far. And now that same hyper-individualism is, is ripping our society apart. 
It's caused massive amounts of selfishness, and we now live in, the, in what, we call, what he calls the selfie culture. It's every man for themselves. Look at my face. <laughs> and we can't stop taking pictures of us, and we're totally self-centered, and we're a bunch of little narcissists is essentially what he says. That's my paraphrase. And now 25% of the country, probably even less now, trust the United States government. There's a crisis of meaning, there's a crisis of purpose, there's a crisis of alienation, there's a crisis of loneliness. Where does it come from? David Brooks argues that it comes from hyper-individualism. And he says, he calls it the first mountain experience. The first mountain being, I am going to seek happiness through personal achievement. Doing my own thing. Fulfilling my own dreams. Having my own goals. I don't care about anybody else but myself. I'm going to climb this first mountain. And he says the solution to the problem of loneliness is to get off this first mountain, to die to ourselves, to give up ourselves, and to get on what he calls the second mountain. He says the second mountain is this climb towards joy by giving your life away. It's where we got the title of the series, You're Made to Give. Jesus put it like this, whoever clings to his life on the first mountain will lose it. I added that part. But whoever loses his life for my sake and starts to climb the second mountain will find it. Jesus said, it is more blessed to give than it is to receive. Joy by serving others. We were made to give. And that solves a lot of the problems of the loneliness and the despair. What David Brooks calls the deaths of despair. Suicide, drug overdose, drinking problems, with liver problems. So I want to continue the conversation today. It's, it's so important for us to understand this because we really are talking about the problems in our lives and the problems in your life and how to navigate through this. David Brooks talks about how this hyper-individualism has also caused or created a, an uncommitted culture. An uncommitted culture. And this lack of commitment has continued to tear the fabric of our, of our society apart. See, when you and I are on the first mountain, when we're living for ourselves, it's all about me and my dreams and my goals and my wants and my desires and happiness through personal achievement. We work really, really hard to stay away from commitment. See, on the first mountain experience, you abhor commitment. Unless, of course, the commitment is going to get you to your personal goals and your personal happiness. Then we might commit some. But on the first mountain, we work really hard to keep our options open. We get engaged, but when our, spat, when our, when our fiance says, so when's the wedding date? We say, well, we'll see. <laughs> Some of us are not even willing to get engaged because that would mean that we have to put a date on the calendar. We want to, and what do we want to do? We want to keep our options open. We live in a culture today of, of a lack of commitment. We don't go all in. We don't go all in on hardly anything. We don't go all in at a job. We don't go all in at a marriage. We don't go all in at a church. We don't go all in on our faith. We just kind of, we kind of, we kind of hang out on the fringes of everything. And then we wonder why we struggle with feeling a sense of significance or meaning or value or purpose in life. We wonder why we struggle with loneliness. Maybe it's because we're living on the fringes. And we're there, but we're not there. It looks like we're in, but we're really not. We're holding back. We're keeping our options open. Did you know that the average worker between the age of 25 and 34 spends only 3.2 years at their job? And then they bounce. 
they bounce from job to job to job. You bounce from job to job to job. Because it's always about, well, we'll wait for something better to come along. Did you know that the average marriage in America lasts 8.2 years? That's it. That's it. 8.2 years. And then they bounce. Because someone better came around. I was looking at some stats on marriage in America. I'm not sure what it would be in other countries, but in the United States of America, every 36 seconds, someone gets divorced. It's mind-boggling. That's 2,400 divorces a day. That's 16,800 divorces in a week. That's 876,000 divorces every single year. We live in a culture where it's like, well, if I don't like it, if it doesn't serve me, if I get uncomfortable, if I don't like you, then I will just bounce and I will get out of here. And I really do believe that the lack of commitment that we see in our culture today from individuals, not of course collectively, but from individuals like me and like you is what is causing or at least in part causing this deep loneliness that's, that, that, that causes us to, to, to even question the meaning of life or, or to question our value or significance in this world. And that leads us down the path of thoughts of suicide and discouragement and depression. What's the answer? Well, Brooks would argue in the book, it's, it's, the answer's in the title. The answer is to move away from the first mountain of narcissism and the first mountain of happiness through personal achievement and a lack of commitment to climb the second mountain. I put it like this in your notes. The second mountain is a life of deep and loving commitments. It's a life where you go all in. He talks about the root word commitment and where it comes from. It comes from, the, in the Latin, it actually means to send out. I didn't know that. To send out what? To send out your heart. To send out your time. To, to send out your word, to send out your integrity, to send out you into something. That's what a commitment looks like. But also, there's another side of it. It's to, to allow someone or something to lay claim upon your heart. I'm going to send you, I'm going to send myself out to you, and I'm also going to let you have say over me. And when you look at the biblical idea of marriage in the scriptures... This is exactly what happens in a marriage. You send out, when you stand, you take those vows. You're sending out your word. You're saying, till death do us part. You're saying, I'm gonna richer or poorer, sickness and health. You're saying all these, I'm sending out my word. I'm sending out my heart. I will love you no matter what. And then I'm also allowing you have to have claim on my life. And that's why when in a healthy marriage, uh, two people, they give each other claim over their money. It's not my money and your money. It's our money now. Even in the scriptures, when it talks about sexuality within the context of marriage, the Apostle Paul teaches this concept that your body now belongs to your wife. She has claim over your body. And then, it's, and then Paul says to the moms, to the ladies, not the moms, the wives, sorry. They might become moms, but let's see. He says to the wives, he says, your body doesn't belong to you. It now belongs to your husband. In other words, when you commit it to marriage, you're allowing your spouse to have claim over your body and you're giving your body to them and vice versa. That's, that's what commitment looks like inside of a marriage. We don't live in a culture like that today. We hold, we think, we hold things back. We, we shy away from commitment. We say, this is mine. We're on the first mountain. It's all about me, baby. In the scriptures, Paul, uh, not Paul, uh, uh, Brooks talks about Ruth. 
And maybe you didn't know this, but there's actually a book of the Bible called Ruth, and it's a small book in the Old Testament. And the only reason I really know about it is because I'm a pastor, uh, and my mom's name is Ruth. So uh, there you have it. So I know about this book, and I've read it many times. And the story of Ruth is real simple. It starts out like this. There's this lady named Naomi, and she's got this husband named uh, Elimelech. I don't know how to say his name. Elimelech. That's how you say it, I think. And everything's going great. They've got two sons, and they're having this great family. Their two sons get married. One lady's name is uh, Ophrah, okay? So that's a pretty interesting name. By the way, that's the name that uh, was given to Oprah, originally, but they couldn't pronounce it, so they called her Oprah instead of Orpha, which is just a fun fact, so you can look that up. Anyway, uh, so one daughter-in-law's name is Orpha, I think I'm saying that right, um, and then the other daughter-in-law's name is Ruth. So everything's going great, and all of a sudden tragedy hits, and Elim- her husband, Naomi's husband, Elimelech, Elimelech, dies. He passes away. Okay, that's, that's bad. Well, then 10 years later, both of her sons pass away. So now she's lost her husband, she's lost her two sons. All she has left are these daughter-in-laws. One's named Orpha, one's named Ruth. So Naomi goes to her daughter-in-laws and say, look, there's no reason for you to stick with me. I'm, I'm getting older, you know, you've gotta go back to your people and live your life. You both are young, you can both find husbands, you can both have children, don't, don't let me hold you back. And, and so what are, you, what are you gonna wait around for me to find another husband to have more sons and then you can marry them? By that time, you'll be old. So Orpha is like, all right, peace, I'm out. So she leaves. But Ruth decides to, to do something different. Listen, Ruth chapter one, verse 16. But Ruth replied to Naomi, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Then she makes this incredible statement that it's just almost unheard of in our culture today. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Now you gotta understand the context here. She's a young woman. She's got her whole life ahead of her. If she were climbing the first mountain, she's thinking, oh my gosh, my husband has died and I can still bear children and I need to find a new husband so that I can have a family and what about me, what about me, what about me? That's the American way. The Ameri- an average American would have bolted like Orpha did. Ruth says, no, I'm not going anywhere. I'm willing to get off the first mountain and sacrifice myself, my personal dreams and goals to stick with you. I'm gonna climb the second mountain. Listen, she continues, verse 17. Wherever you die, I will die. And there I'll be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. What? But Ruth, what about your dreams? What about your hopes? What about children? What about marriage? You can still find love. You're still young enough. No, I'm gonna stick with my mother-in-law. She's lost both of her sons and she's lost her husband and I'm not gonna leave her all by herself. And I'm willing to sacrifice my own dreams to be with her. That is what commitment looks like. I'm gonna send out my heart to you and I'm gonna let you have claim over my life. There is no epidemic of commitment in this country. Do you agree, yes or no? And I believe it is tearing the fabric of our society apart and it is tearing apart the lives of individuals. We simply will not go all in. Let me talk to you about why I think this solves the problem of loneliness and suicidal thoughts and depression. And Three reasons, three reasons, and then we'll, I'll get you out of here. You guys can go to lunch. Number one, Commitment 
gives your life an identity. Oh, this is so good. Commitment gives your life an identity. An identity is so incredibly important. What do I mean? Well, when you decide to get married, Jackie and I got married right here in this place right here. When you decide to say, till death do us part, richer, poor, sickness and health, all that stuff, you, I actually, something happened right here in this spot. This is a special space for me because I went from being single Danny to this new person called husband right here in this little spot. My identity shifted. Now you have to embrace that just because you say I do to somebody doesn't mean you mean it, okay? But you have to embrace that commitment. But boy, did I ever embrace that commitment. Wow, I'm a husband. What does that mean? I'm sending out my word. I'm sending out my commitment. I'm closing all of the other options out there to any other woman that crosses my path. I'm not not on the market anymore. I've got the ring on. I'm committed. I'm letting you have claim on my life. That's commitment. You see what I'm talking about? And we say, till death do us part. Some of you guys have gotten married. Some of you guys are married. I'll talk to the guys real quick. And you have never committed. You said the words, but you never committed to your wife. In other words, you've left the door open. You're still on the market. Your eyes still roam. You're still available to the opposite sex. And let me say something to you. I think this is from the Holy Spirit. You are an idiot. You don't understand commitment. You haven't closed the door. You haven't taken yourself off the market. You're not committed. You're a hypocrite. You said one thing, but you didn't go all in. And it's just a matter of time before your marriage blows up. Why? Because you're not committed. You're not all in. You haven't embraced a new identity as a husband. And this goes the same way for wives. And you're about to blow your life. You're about to blow your marriage up too. Because you've not actually committed. What is committed? I'm I'm gonna send out who I am to you and I'm gonna let you have claim upon me till death do us part. Gives you a new identity. Why is identity so important? Well, it's important because it's the story of your life. If you don't go all in, what story are people gonna talk tell? When you're like old and you smell weird. (laughs) What, What story... What story are they going to tell? Because they're going to tell a story. I was reading about this in, in the second mountain. He quotes this, this famous lady. I'd never heard of her before, but her name is Hannah Arendt. And she's a, apparently one of the most well-known political philosophers. She's not alive anymore, but David Brooks quotes her. And she's so insightful. She says, without being bound to the fulfillment of promises, that's commitment, We would never be able to achieve the amount of, watch this, identity and continuity, which together produce, quote, a person about whom a story can be told. Wow. See, the reason we talk about Michelangelo is because he spent four years on his back painting the Sistine Chapel. Over 400 life-size figures on a ceiling from nine different scenes in the book of Genesis. We, we would have no story about Michelangelo if he didn't commit to finish those 400 paintings on a ceiling. 
You see what I'm saying? When you go all in, then you can get something done. Now they're over a decade, two decades, three decades, you actually produce something with your life and there's a story to be told. A story worth telling anyway. She says, but without commitment, each of us would be condemned, watch this, condemned to wander helplessly and without direction in the darkness of his own lonely heart. What is the problem in our society today? It's a crisis of loneliness, caught in its ever-changing moods, contradictions, and equivocalities as we scroll through Facebook and as we scroll through Twitter. Committed to nothing, watching life go by, but not being all in on anything. There's no identity. There's no story to tell. Actually, there is. It's just one of quitting. You bounce from that job. You bounce from that marriage. You bounce from these kids. You bounce from that company. You bounce from that church. A few years ago, a new church popped up in the scene here in Greenwood. We lost 10% of our congregation. How about that? Yeah, just gone. Just gone. What happened? Well, there's a new church in Greenwood. Did you hear about it? What, what, if, I, what if I acted that way towards church? It's kind of like, oh, I think I'll show up. Do I have to preach? What time? What series are we in? What am I supposed to say? Well, you know, what if I was like half in, half out? What if another opportunity came up and I was like, ah, you know, it's a new church. In fact, a couple years ago, I got a call from a friend of mine who's in the church leadership world. He kind of knows what's going on, and he, he does some consulting and uh, conferences. He said, hey, there's a, there's a church in Texas. Their senior pastor is retiring. And, man, it's a big church. I think you could take it. I think, I think you could take it to the next level. Can I put your name out there? He's got, there's a short list of guys I think you could be one of the top ones. And I was like, wow, Texas? It's warm in Texas. <laughs> and I thought about it for a second. But then I was, I was real quick to say, hey, hey, I appreciate that. That's really humbling that you would think I could do that. But uh, don't put my name on that list. Please do not. It was an easy decision for me. You want to know why? Because back when Pastor Jim Devaney, our founding pastor, retired, founded the church in 1977, and I transitioned as a senior pastor in 06, I told him, I said, you know, you have been incredibly faithful through so many difficulties, and you've led the church through, through so many eras and phases, and, and it's grown, and, and our church is not one of those churches that has a different pastor every five years. There are some churches like that, not ours. I'm only the second pastor our church has ever had. <laughs> it's, I'm, not, I'm not asking you to clap for me. I'm just, this, is just the, this is just the dynamic. And I said to him, I said, I want to do what you did. I want to spend my whole career at Emmanuel. Because here's why, here's why. You really cannot achieve much if you bounce. There's not a grand story to tell if you're uncommitted. So for me, the decision was easy. Take, don't put my name on that list. I appreciate it, but I'm not interested. Can I ask the same commitment of you? Can you go all in? Is it perfect around here? No, sometimes it, it really is stinky at Emmanuel. It is, it is. We don't do this right. We got this wrong. He said the wrong thing. They didn't follow up with me. I can't get my baptism video. I mean, there's all kinds of problems around here, okay? But can, can you just commit? Can you just commit? 
Can you just go all in and just say, hey, I'm going to give a piece of my heart. I'm going to let you have claim on me. Would you do that? I'll go first. I'll go first. Gives you identity. It gives you a sense of, 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 of meaning. Your life has significance. This is why Jesus called us such, such, such high commitment. In Matthew 22, he said these words. You must love the Lord your God. Watch this. With all of your heart. Not a little bit. With all of your soul, not a small part, with all of your mind, not just a portion of your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. Why? Because when you commit all of you to loving me, you take on a new identity, that of disciple, that of child of God, and your life suddenly has meaning. It has significance, and thoughts of suicide and depression get pushed out because there's significance to your life. Where does that significance come from? It comes from your decision to give all of yourself to God to commit yourself to him. We suffer from loneliness because we're uncommitted. If we commit, our life takes on an identity. Number two, number two, why does, why does commitment fix some of these problems? Because commitment will give your life purpose. Man, when you go all in and commit to something, let's just say it's the military, now your life has a purpose. You're gonna fight for freedom. Let's say, if you commit to the gospel of Jesus Christ, now your life has purpose. You're gonna invite others into the journey. You're gonna make disciples. Commitment leads to purpose. When a human being lacks purpose, he's like, or she's like, a fish out of water. We need to know a purpose. We need to have a purpose. We struggle. We implode. No wonder so many folks are committing suicide. Their life has no purpose. Why? They've never committed to something outside of themselves. We, we languish on the first mountain. We die on the first mountain. We implode on the first mountain. We are made for joy by giving our lives away to something bigger than ourselves. Is this making sense? We find purpose. Jesus was walking along the shore of the, sea, of the Sea of Galilee right in the beginning of, uh, of his ministry and he saw Pete. You know Pete, right? The guy who sticks his foot in his mouth all the time, right? Pete's there with his brother. They're throwing their nets out to catch some fish and I want you to hear Jesus' uh, request or his invitation. He says to both of them, hey guys, follow me. There it is. Come on, let's go. Follow me. Be my disciple. And here's what we're gonna do. I will turn you into, watch this, say it with me, fishers of men. You're not going to fish for fish anymore. You're going to actually, you're going to let the business go. You're going you're gonna, to you're gonna stop working the fishing business, and you're going to do something very different. Your life is going to take on a different purpose. You're going to fish for men. This is what we need. We need purpose. Where does it come from? It comes from the follow. It comes from the decision to commit your life. See, I personally have times in my life where I get discouraged or I get down, but they quickly, they quickly get checked because my life has a mission. My life has a purpose. I, there's, I've got to go. I've got to get busy. I've got to go. I've got to do. There's a purpose to my life, and we fight off the discouragement. We fight off the suicidal thoughts. We fight off the depression when we know that we know that we know our life has a purpose. So why does commitment help us? Commitment gives us a sense of identity and meaning. It gives our lives a clear purpose. And number three, commitment gives your life grit. And oh, do we need grit. Grit is that ability to keep on going when it's hard. If you want to know more about this, I did a whole talk on this in the series of The Art of Living, How to Endure Under Pressure. We talked about three feet from gold, the ability to keep going. You remember that talk? Was that helpful to anybody? Okay, I got to preach better. I got to preach better. I got to preach better. Because you don't remember the talk. It's okay. You can go back and watch it. <laughs> but we, what, how do we keep going? We keep going when we commit. 
Why would I keep going in my life? I've committed to my wife. She's here today. I've committed to be her husband, to provide for her, to protect her, our family, to our kids. I can't give up. No matter how hard it gets, I can't give up. Why? I've gone all in on, on that deal. Husband, father, family guy. So no matter what comes up, no matter what difficulties, it's like that commitment keeps me one foot in front of the other. One foot in front of the other. See, it's the, it's the commitment of the soldier that keeps them fighting. It's the commitment of the athlete that keeps them training. It's the commitment of the wife or the husband that keeps them praying. It's the commitment of the Christian that keeps them seeking God. Commitment gives us the grit that we need. No one had more grit than the Apostle Paul. I mean, man, that guy, he got whipped, he got beaten, he got, you know, stoned. Not, not, not the marijuana kind of stone, but the, 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 the rocks kind of stone. I mean, he, he was shipwrecked, he was whipped. I mean, he, he was beaten up time and time again, and he never quit. Because he committed to take this message of hope, the message of forgiveness to the Gentiles, those who were not Jews. He was so completely committed, you could not stop this guy. He had more endurance than anyone, perhaps than Jesus. And then he wrote about it to his young protege, Timothy. Listen to what he said in 2 Timothy chapter 4. He said, Timothy, I've come to the end of my life. I'm about to die. I'm an old man. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have, say it with me, remain faithful. I want to say these words to you, to my family, to my best friends. When I'm old and I can't do this anymore, I've kept the faith. I fought a good fight. fight I finished the race. What gave Paul the grit? What was it? Listen. And now the prize awaits me. The crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will give me on the day of his appearing. See, Paul understood that what Jesus taught was true. Paul committed to what Jesus said. Did you know that Jesus regularly taught about rewards? For those who endure, there'll be a reward, there'll be a crown of righteousness. Jesus would teach a parable and he would say this about the, at the end of the parable. Those who finish well, those who endure, it'll be said, well done, my good and faithful servant. Jesus taught this concept that if you go all the way to the end and you refuse to quit, there will be a reward for you. Paul believed it. Paul went all in and it kept him going, this crown of righteousness that was going to be given him. And then Paul says this to you and I, and he says this to Timothy. And this prize is not just for me. Oh, no. But it's for all who eagerly look forward to his appearing. Who's appearing? When Jesus Christ returns to this earth and sets up his kingdom that will last forever. What are you looking forward to? What are you eagerly looking forward to? I hope it's the return of Christ. I hope you understand that there is a reward for you if you keep going to the end and you finish the race and you keep the faith and you remain faithful. This is what gave Paul his grit and his endurance. Paul didn't think about suicide. He didn't think about, he wasn't caught up in discouragement or depression. Why? Because his life had an identity. His life had a purpose. 
and he had this tremendous grit about him. How do we get that? We do what Ruth did. We look at the people in our life, we look at God. For her, it was Naomi, and we say, I'm not going anywhere, baby. (laughs) I was telling my wife the other day, I said, I hope you like me, because you're stuck with me. You know, and, and I'm, I mean it, like I got quirks about me and things that are weird and certain smells that are bad and just, you know, just life. It's like, I hope, I hope you like me because I'm committed. You have claim on me and I've given my heart to you. And I've said the same thing to God. I've given my heart to you and you have absolute claim on me. There's no epidemic of commitment in this country. Maybe we can start it. Will you? Will you commit? That's, that's, that's on me. That's on you. Life is filled with choices. I've decided that from personal experience and from observing the life of others that the happiest people, those who are climbing that second mountain, have deep and loving commitments in their life that they are unwilling to compromise. Let's say like Ruth, wherever you die, I'm gonna die. May the Lord punish me if anything but death separates us. You wanna build a great life? You wanna have a life filled with joy and meaning and purpose and significance? You wanna live above discouragement, depression, and push back thoughts of suicide? Commit your life to a purpose, to a cause, to a person, to God, to Jesus Christ. That's where life is truly found. Now, around here at church, we we say we're committed to the relentless pursuit. And there's lots of ways you can be involved with that. You can commit to being in a small group. You can commit to go on a missions trip. You can commit to give money to kids who, who, who will drink clean water in Africa. You can commit to build houses on a, on a weekend. There's lots of things you can do around here to help us advance the kingdom. But two things that everyone can do is number one, join the impact team. It's about an hour a week and we try to help you find your spot here at the church, whether that's greeting or working with children or being part of the weekend experience at one of our campuses, doing audio, lighting, singing or whatever serving coffee. You see the folks with red shirts around here. Did you know that we, it is impossible to pull off a weekend at Emmanuel without the red shirts, without the impact team? There's not enough staff members to do it. We absolutely depend on all of our impact team members to have services on the weekend. Will you commit? Will you text the word team to 65248? And will you register for impact team night? See, this is, this is where the commitment comes in, you know? And we already got a couple people walking out. I see you. <laughs> look, look, this is, this, is, this is how it goes. It's time to go. Here he goes. He's going to ask us to commit. <laughs> look, I see you. I'm up here sweating. You're walking. You're going to lunch. It's always around this time where people start to check out, where you actually ask people to actually commit an hour of your week. But it's not just your time, it's also your finances. You know, I talk about this, and I'm not ashamed to talk about this. My wife and I give 10% of everything we make plus some to this church. 
Why? Because we're all, we're all in. We're, done, we're, not on the, we're not on the fringe. Where you put your money, that's where, you know what I'm saying? That's where your heart is. That's what Jesus, wherever your treasure is, that's where, well, that's where your heart You're committed to what you fund. We ask you to fund the ministry here. We don't get checks from the government. We don't have outside sources of income. Anything that happens in this community through Emmanuel happens because you decide to give some money. That's it, period. But yet over half of us don't give a dime, not a dime, not a dollar. Blows my mind. And now, so I'm gonna ask you to do it. I'm gonna ask you to jump in and give. I'm gonna ask you to text the word give to 65248. Why? Because I want you to get off the first mountain. Look, we're fine financially, we're paying our bills, we can do stuff. We could do more if you gave more, but, but it's not about needing your money. It's about you getting off this stupid first mountain and getting onto the second mountain and finding joy by giving and serving others. Over half of you haven't done that yet. Last week I preached, I thought it was a decent sermon. It's probably a B, maybe, I don't know. I appreciate that, but guess what? Only 27 people texted the word give to 65248. Apparently my sermon wasn't that good. If we're, if we're judging by results, out of those 27 people who texted the word give, only 17 people set up a reoccurring gift. I'm like, Lord Jesus, you've got to help me preach better. There are thousands of you that give zero, nothing, nada. Can you imagine walking into a restaurant, eating the meal, licking your lips, and walking out not paying the bill? Can you even think of it? But that's what over half of you do every single week. Oh, that was good. Pastor Jane preached a good one. Love that music. Love this coffee. No money. Look, look, you can tell I'm a little on edge. That's fair. That's fair. I'm probably not in my right mind right now, but that's okay. This is a rare moment. Let me, let me just issue you a challenge as I'm up here sweating. Go text this word give to 65248 and set up a reoccurring gift for one stupid dollar. That's it. That's it. Not $5. This isn't even the cigarette challenge, okay? Listen, you can't even go to the store and buy something at Dollar General for a dollar. Okay, so... I'm just telling you, go to 65248, set up a recording gift for a dollar. Not because we need your money, because you need to get off the stupid first mountain and get on the second mountain. This is about your heart. It's not about the money. Does that make sense? So tomorrow I'm going to ask my team, how many people texted the word give to 65248? And if they don't tell me, if they don't tell me that Danny, it's amazing, we have 1,500 text messages. If, they, if, it's less, if the number is less than $1,500, I might lose my mind. Please help your pastor, help me. Help me to stay in the game. Let me wrap this up. We follow the example of Christ. No one gave more than Jesus. No one was climbing the second mountain more than Christ. No one committed more than Jesus Christ. How do you commit more than giving your flesh and blood? You can't, it's impossible. He gave everything so that you and I could be forgiven of our sins. If you have not tasted that grace yet, if you have not responded to that generosity yet, I plead with you as your pastor. Do business with God when it comes to your soul. 
You need forgiveness. You need grace. Jesus paved the way. He made it possible for you to be forgiven. He gave his life for you. He died on the cross 2,000 years ago. He came back to life so you, you can find grace so that you could be forgiven of your sins. If you'd like to take that step of faith right now, I'm gonna say a simple prayer. It's so easy a child could pray it. In fact, many children do. Take these words, make them your own. Put your faith in Christ today. Would you pray if you feel led to? Dear Jesus, thank you for giving your life, for allowing the Roman soldiers that day to crucify you, to die in my place, to pay for my sin. I ask you to cleanse me, wash me, forgive me. I place my trust in you. From this day forward, teach me to give just like you, to be generous, to find joy through serving others. May my life bring a smile to your face. I pray this in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen. Can we give God glory, church, amen? If you just prayed that prayer, we would, if you haven't figured this out yet, we love to, 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 to text words here. So if you prayed that prayer, text the word SAVE to 65248. We will put a little starter kit in your hands through the mail. There's a Bible in here. There's some instructions on how to get baptized, uh, get connected to the church. And there's also a coffee mug in here just to say congratulations for your decision today. One more time, church. Amen. Hey, I've had a blast up here today. It is a joy to be your pastor. Right now, we're gonna hand things off to our local teams. God bless you guys. You're not gonna wanna miss next week. Bring a friend. We'll see you later.